What's up, you media family? Vladimir Pragnevsky here, and welcome to episode number 48 of the Ukimedia podcast, where I serve a Ukimedia family with weekly interviews from highly creative people. And today's guest is John Mark McMillan. He's a singer and platinum-selling songwriter. His album, Borderland, held a top 15 spot on the iTunes albums chart and number 41 on Billboard's top 200. John, welcome to the show. Feel free to fill in the gaps from the intro and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think maybe a lot of people don't know this, but I, I'm actually kind of a huge nerd, uh, a huge comic book nerd. I I grew up, like originally I didn't want to be a musician. I wanted to be an illustrator. Oh, wow. And so I, I grew up going to all the comic book conventions and I collected comic books and I spent all my money on comic books. I, I think at a point I realized that um, I had to make a decision between music and illustration. And I, I thought that music was maybe more interesting to the girls. And so I think I ended up making that transition. But since since I've had kids, I've gotten uh, back into the comic book world in a super nerdy way to the point where my my kids may even be tired of it. You know, but, I'm, <laughs> but I'm, uh, yeah, but I, maybe people don't know that. And I think it is funny. Uh, the comic book movies are so big now and it's funny how like popular all the conventions are, you know, and I remember going to them, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands when it was definitely like, uh, not that it's cool now, but it was so right, not right. cool, you know, back then. Yeah. No, what's the just last week, right? The the big comic book legend uh, passed away, which I'm not into comic books, so I can't remember his name. But everyone in our community was like, their Facebook profiles went to his picture, and must have been a big dude. Yeah, he was he was a big deal. Stanley, he created some of the most memorable comic book characters of all time, and he's been a presence in the Marvel world for, um, I mean, I don't know how long, maybe forty years or something, fifty years. Oh yeah. So yeah, he's sort of he's sort of the man who started it all in the, you know, Spider-Man, Hulk, X-Men, that, you know, all the um Fantastic Four, you know, sort of the early Marvel era. And yeah, so he was definitely a big deal. I need to get into comic books, man. And now I have kids. It's just something that I guess growing up, we grew up in Kiev, Ukraine, it was just not a thing to do. We watched soccer. Well, actually we didn't even watch soccer, we just played soccer twenty four seven. But now I'm in the States. I gotta I gotta get in with the with the culture, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now let's start from the very beginning, man. Tell us sure. how you got started in music. Well, I got started in music. I remember um a good friend of mine. Um I hadn't seen him in a little while. I was I was a teenager and it was summer. I don't remember what year it was, but I was probably fourteen. And I remember a friend of mine was coming over. I hadn't seen him in a while. And this is, you know, pre-internet. So there was no texting or whatever. I hadn't talked to him in months, right? You know, and, and uh, his mom dropped him off at my house. And he got out of the car with a red guitar and this teeny little PV amplifier. And I was like, whoa, what are you going to do with that? We went up to my room and he could play all the songs from the radio. You know, and I thought, uh, I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. I, at that point, I had already realized I was terrible at sports. Um, <laughs> the girls did not think my comic book characters were cool uh, <laughs> at all, you know. And so I, uh, I thought, you know, if he can do it, I was like, maybe he can teach me how to play these songs and this will be, 
you know, my inroad to conversations with the girls. And so I dug up my dad's old guitar and I started learning songs. I would buy magazines, you know, back then we didn't have tabs online, you know, um, uh, you know, to learn the songs. I, I tried guitar lessons, but I, my teacher, I kind of had a teacher, but it was, it was complicated to get into his house and he was busy. And so I, um, sort of consigned myself to learn popular songs from magazines that I bought at the drugstore. So I buy these magazines at the drugstore and learn Pearl Jam songs and Metallica and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Nirvana. I think I, I first the first song I ever learned was Smells Like Teen Spirit. And so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how it all started for me, playing music to try and impress my friends and um, you know, and then I always, I, I love people. I always wanted to be in a band. I thought that would be fun in the nineties. That was definitely the thing to do in my neighborhood. That was, you know, super cool to be in a band. And so that's sort of where it all started for me with music in my mid teens, trying to impress people with my, um, guitar chops. <laughs> I didn't impress a whole lot of people, but it became something I really loved, you know, and something I grew to sort of fall in love with. Did it come natural to you? No, not at all. So my parents are not super musical. My dad knew some chords. And my mom, you know, at least I've been told when she was younger, she used to play and sing sort of like um, probably mostly sort of hippie worship choruses and that kind of stuff, you know, from the 60s. But I never heard her play or sing growing up. And I didn't really hear my dad play or sing much growing up. And they wouldn't consider themselves to be incredibly musical. So I, I didn't really come from a musical family per se. Yeah. So it wasn't very natural to me. Like even now I feel like I've got to work really hard, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to be musical. But I, I think I just, I, I loved it. And so I was able to make it work just cause I, I enjoyed it so much, you know, but no, it was, it didn't come naturally to me at all. What about songwriting? When did you start writing songs? So I started writing songs. I was in a handful of bands and I think part of me realized like I'm not the greatest guitar player in the world. So I need to um, have some sort of ownership in the band. So I tried to write songs for the bands and I don't know that they ever played my songs. And especially since I wasn't a singer right away, it was hard to explain people what I wanted from the songs. Later on, I became a singer and I, I actually ended up playing my dad was a pastor and he pastored a small church growing up in a little strip mall. And so I, I would play, I, some of the guys on the older guys who played at church would teach me some classic rock tunes, you know, on the loading dock out back. And so I had opportunities to play in church. And so there's a point they asked me to write some, you know, if I wanted to write some songs or, you know, and so I, I would write songs to sing with the youth group in church, you know, um, just, you know, for something to do. And also it was a lot of fun and uh, being a believer as well. Like it, it became um, an expression of my faith and an opportunity to like explore my faith. But at the same time, like it was, it was um, writing songs became for me a way to work out. I, I'm it's, I've, I've discovered that I don't understand myself very well most of the time. And as I've gotten older, I've become a little more self-aware. But for the most for the most part, especially when I was younger, I, I was really confused about myself. And I realized there are different personality types. So not everybody's like that. But 
I had a hard time understanding what was going on with me, <laughs> you know, and throughout most of my life. And so songs became a way for me to like explore that, especially when I was sad, you know, and I dealt with a good bit of depression in my teenage years, which was a really good time to be depressed was the nineties was a great time to be depressed because it was very popular to be depressed. <laughs> so I think my earliest songs outside of some of the church songs that I tried to write were super depressed songs are probably hilarious if I went back and found them now. but you know but I'm I copied I mimicked like the Counting Crows and um, Pearl Jam Nirvana a lot of those sort of 90s type of bands um, super stream of consciousness type of lyrics but yeah over time writing songs became a way to sort of figure myself out to sort through how I felt it's and like even therapy now, right yeah, it totally is like therapy. And even now, looking back, I'll, I'll I'll see a song I wrote, say, two or three years ago, and I'll be like, whoa, I totally understand what's going on. But when I wrote it, I was like, I had no idea what was going on. I just felt this way. But looking back, it's like, wow. Mm. How do you get in the moment of writing songs? Well, so I like to write, um, if, if, I have a, if I'm inspired, I got to like find a place to write a song because that, that inspiration doesn't always last, right? But I try to write every single day, you know, and I found the most creative time of day is um, early in the day. The first two hours of the day is when my mind seems to be the most fertile, I guess, you know, most active, creatively active. And so I'll write early in the day. And honestly, it's, you know, because you know what it's like having kids, you know, I've got a family, I've got responsibilities and then like even though i'm a songwriter even though that's my job like all the other job stuff applies like you know there's scheduling and uh negotiating and you gotta have meetings with my team and you know there's all, all kind of things throughout the day that need to happen you know doing interviews and marketing and creating content to spread the word on the record you know so i've got to clear that those first two hours every day to write. And so th- that's when I spend the most time writing. And, and that's kind of how I, I try to approach it. I, you know, it's sort of twofold. Like you need those inspired moments, but it's sort of like if I'm not writing every day, I have a difficult time taking advantage of even the inspired moments. Because I, I, I almost feel like the writing that is not fun, that time you spend two, the two hours in the morning, is really sets up a runway for inspiration. I think Picasso says that um, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. And so for me, it's almost like if I'm not working every day on my craft, like I'm really not able to catch the ideas when they come. So that's sort of my my approach to to writing, or at least that's how I start writing a song. Is it is the heart like once you've finished a song, it's finished, it's done, and you have to release it to the public? Do you ever feel like it's, uh, I don't know, like, is it hard to release something that you worked on for such a long time, your feelings, your emotions, and then you're putting it out in the public and you don't know how they're going to take it? Is that hard for you? Yeah, it's very hard. I think the hardest part is admitting when a song is finished. Because even the, even the songs that like I, I've recorded, sometimes I'm like, I could have said this, or we could have gone this way with this song. You know? So for me, it's hard to know when a song is done. You know, but I, I've got a friend who says that a song is never done. It's just finished. <laughs> you know, it's like you just decide to put it out, you know, but also like it's really hard. Like songs, 
uh, and I guess all kinds of artwork and creative work exist within a context. And it, it can be difficult when you're like, okay, I'm working on this song now. It's not going to, it may not come out for two years, you know? And then I hope in two years, people uh, still really care about and understand what I'm saying right now, Oh, you know? And so uh, that can be really difficult. You know, like I'm writing songs now that I'll start recording next year. And if I'm lucky, I'll put it out in fall. But if, oh, wow. if I get held up at all, it, it won't be till 2020 before, you know, I'll put something out next year for sure. But before I put out this project that I'm thinking of right now. And so that's really hard, you know, even like, not that my music is especially political, but, you know, politics right now, there's so much going on. You could write a song right now and in two years it will sound totally different, you know. And then the other side of it is, you know, you don't like to think this, but like what if I write something, if everyone is writing the same types of songs, who's going to care about <laughs> my song when it comes out? <laughs> so it's like, you know, there's all that context surrounding it. And, and, and honestly, if I get too caught up in that context, I won't write. And so it's, I, I think that I've really got to dig in and just create and then step back and say, okay, I think this could work or maybe it um, doesn't work. And then there's always the, like, uh, people online are absolutely cruel, right? They're absolutely cruel, right. you know, and I'm, I've, I've been around long enough that I've learned how to not let that bother me because also people online are often, um, I don't want to say they're morons because you know what I'm saying? But it's like, there's this, there's this angry, loud minority of people who hate everything that I do. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. And, um, but, and that exists for any, anybody who is successful in any field, you know, there's no way to get your work in front of masses of people and not have that tiny, loud group of people who just hate everything. But the problem is it's so easy to focus on those people, you know, but they're usually the smallest group of people in the conversation. Um, so you have to be like, I, I've learned, like, I've got to be okay with people like not liking my stuff because I feel like most people in everyday life don't have to deal with that. Right. Right. Like how often do like um, you go online and someone tells you something you spent the last two years of your life is a waste of time. You know, like if I wanted to, I could go every day and find somebody who says something like that, you know. <laughs> so I think that I think that I've had to develop some thick skin over the years and just laugh, laugh at that stuff. I don't mean they're morons, but in my mind, I'm like, uh, that maybe that was, that was a little bit of a harsh thing to say. But they're just people out there who are just willing to destroy anything and have no sort of don't really care that there are people involved. You know what I'm saying? And probably those people wouldn't, um, you know, would not accept the same criticism they're giving very well. You know, interesting point you make, because it's true, because those people are so brave behind a keyboard. You know, it's, it's easy to be brave <laughs> when nobody. But when you confront them in real life, they're like, oh, hi, I'm the biggest fan. But, you know, I and know. it's interesting yeah. how sometimes one negative comment is more impactful than positive ones. And I mean, we we have a YouTube channel, the same thing. Sometimes people say negative things because we're from Ukraine and our mm -hmm. channel is Ukraine Media and this whole Russian-Ukrainian crisis thing. So the guy, oh, sometimes yeah. people unsubscribe like I'm Russian and because of your name, Ukraine Media. Uh, it's pol too political for me. I'm unsubscribing and just, and then oh, sometimes yeah. people would poke fun at different things, but it's interesting. My brother, just what he does, he usually likes their comment and subscribes to their channel. <laughs> that's, how, <laughs> that's how he deals Dude. with criticism. Dude, that is the greatest. 
it's like I, I've actually done that several times. If someone says something really mean, and I say something really nice back, and <laughs> and immediately their tone changes, and they're ninety percent of the time apologetic. Yeah, it's so much better than like responding to them, you know, angrily, because they expect you to be angry. And you say something nice, and they don't know how to take it, and they <laughs> it makes them feel worse. <laughs> You know? Yeah, that's true. Then the guilt is on them. Then they're exactly. like, wow, I was just a jerk to a guy who just told <laughs> And then like give them discounts to your store. That's what I'm going to do next. Yeah, well, totally. I don't want to put this because now people are going to hear this and like, oh, I'm going to leave a bunch of negative <laughs> comments. <So I> guess, <laughs> discounts. Yeah. Now, you you share the stage with some some big artists like Need to Breathe and yeah. David Crowder band. You've performed in front of like 70,000 people, if I'm not wrong. And yeah. I mean, your song has been shared. I've I've heard your songs uh, everywhere I go, pretty much. And my, my brother, my youngest brother, I want to plug this in because he told me to. <laughs> awesome. He's been to like four of your concerts and my uh, twin brother been to one of them. I've never been, but that's going to change in the near future. <sighs> now, how do you deal with being nervous on stage? Like, do you get nervous? I don't usually get nervous. I mean, I have been nervous before. I think that uh, when I'm prepared, I don't feel nervous. I think the only time I feel nervous is when I'm underprepared. And so I've tried really hard to always be as prepared as I possibly can. I think the other thing is when you do it enough, you get used to it. And I remember early on, like walking out in front of a crowd of people who are looking at only you and all their focus is on you and what they are listening and paying attention to what you are doing. And they are all thinking about what you're doing. And in their mind, they're all having a conversation about you. That's really hard. I actually remember in school having a hard time giving a presentation in front of my class of like 19 people, you know, like I remember getting really nervous, but I I do think after you do it a few times, you realize like, oh, this is no big deal, you know? And I guess it goes back to like, I mean, I do care about what people think. You can't not care, but I think you just have to learn. I, I think you have to convince yourself that they're just people like you. You know, right, and and that it's not that big of a deal, but it's hard, man. It's it, it can be very hard to get up in front of people, but I don't really get nervous. There is always a little bit of a. It would be like um, if you ever played sports and the, before, the butterflies in your stomach, like excitement, yeah, right? Yes, but you learn to like you learn to love that. You know, like I, I know the band guys love it too. You learn to sort of like thrive on that, like that feeling before a show is it's one of the best feelings when you feel your heart rate and, and then you work to keep your heart rate down, you know, like it's, it's actually a pretty great feeling. And then you go out and play and you use that energy instead of letting that energy to, um, you know, distract you. What was it like to hear your songs on the radio for the first time? I'm sure that was special, right? Yes. That was really, really weird for sure. I don't remember where I was the first time I heard it, David Crowder was probably the first person to sing one of my songs on the radio and um, was really like, I I was a fan of David Crowder before he did the song. And when I found out he was covering the song, I was really, really excited. And it turned out to be a huge hit for him, which was different because normally he's, he's he's a really good songwriter. So he's had like a lot, a lot of hits that he's written himself. And so I didn't know what to think about it when he was covering the song and it turned out to be like a pretty big hit for him. And yeah, I I was totally, and honestly the song for me at that point was pretty old. It was several years old at that point. 
And so I'd almost thought, well, any momentum that song had was over. And then the song just sort of exploded. And I was like, well, man, I, it shows that I don't really know. <laughs> you know yeah, I checked I out his no YouTube idea. channel. I saw that a song got like over 10 million views on his YouTube channel, David Crowder's band. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty cool how your song been shared so many times. And it seems like every church I go to, I hear it all the time. But I, I want to ask this question because a lot of times when I go to churches, I hear your song, like sometimes people tweak the lyrics a little bit and they, you know, the unforeseen <laughs> kiss and the sloppy work kiss. Now, does that bother you when people tweak the lyrics a little bit? I mean, I, I think that David tweaked the lyrics because he knew the song was going to go in some, some places it hadn't been before, you know? And, you know, I, I feel like for a songwriter who, who halfway exists in the Christian space, like I feel like I, I don't think so much about this kind of stuff because I'm also still in an independent artist. But I think if you were in the mainstream sort of Christian space, like there are just certain things that put them off. And I think he felt like that little change was going to make a big difference for the song. So I actually appreciate that, you know, that he did that because it, the song has become a much bigger song in streams that I, that I'm not even connected to, you know, because of it. And, you know, to be honest, that's awesome because it's generated a lot of uh, opportunity for me and, and the song has been really good to us financially. And a big part of that is because of places he took that song, you know. But yeah, I, I do think it's a little weird. I don't know why it seems like people in church seem to be so concerned with minor things like that. You know, to me, it's sort of like it is a, that that part of it is a little bit annoying. You know, but it's fine. <laughs> and then more and more people, I think, are singing the original lyric these days, like. I thought it was funny. It was even a controversy. I was like, is this really a thing? <laughs> you know? Me and my wife talked about that. I was, she, she likes the unforeseen kiss. I'm like, but you can't <sighs> change. It's like I worked in a restaurant in college like all for, for many years. And I know enough that you should never change the uh, the menu. Because like, once you change it, it's no longer... It's no longer the thing. It's something mm-hmm. else. And so I'm like, I like the sloppy. So anyway, we yeah. were going back and forth, but she's like, it's more romantic when it's unforeseen. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> anyway, yeah. but you know, after you produce so much good stuff and I mean, you've been featured everywhere. Is there a pressure to kind of perform and publish great songs? Do you feel that pressure? Yeah, totally. How do you I deal totally with that? That's hard, man. I honestly like it's, um, I try to, I try to just do my work because I, I think at the end of the day, the only way to be great is really just to do your work, is to work often, to work hard, but but not to get too, um, you don't want to get so emotionally involved that it shuts you down, you know? So at the end of the day, like your your work speaks for you, you know? So like when you have had some success and you're like, this is really hard and now I have to do it again. I feel a lot of that pressure, but at the end of the day, I didn't get where I am now by trying to do something significant as much as I just tried to write great songs. And then over time, those songs have uh, made a way for me. And so it it is a little bit hard. It's like, I want to write this like huge record. You know what I mean? But the only way to do it is really just to try and write good records. And then hopefully one of them will be huge. So yeah, my motto is just sort of like slow and steady. You know, what's the, um, what's that old, uh, classic rock tune? Hold on loosely, but don't let go. You know, (laughs) that's sort of what I'm trying to do. Sort of like stay steady, work hard, but hold on to it loosely at the same time, but don't let go of it. 
Keep your hands That's on it advice. and keep your nose down. Keep your nose in your work. You know, and eventually it's going to pay off. But if I think too hard about it, I'll stop working and it works against me. Man, the struggle is real. The battle is truly between your ears. And you know, I, I'm sure you go through a lot of things because you know, people say you're as good. I mean, I hear it all the time. You're, people say you're as good as your last performance. Oh, and for man. artists, you always want to improve and make something better. Now, I want to transition to something something dark, man. I, I want you to. All right. Yeah. I want you to tell us the story of your worst moment in your creative journey. So take it away. Oh, man. The worst moment in my creative journey. Oh, gosh. You know, early on, we did some tours and nobody <laughs> showed up, you know? Wow. Uh, um, you know, and and it was so hard back then. Like, we were so tight financially and touring was so hard because it's so expensive. And I remember doing whole tours and we traveled the country and nobody showed up. You know, I don't mean nobody, but I mean, like, you know, like, we did. I, I know I remember doing, like, big shows where I think only the staff was there, you know, only the people who worked at the venue were there. And I don't remember what the low point was for me, but I do remember there was a moment when I said, like, um, I was doing all kinds of things. I was teaching guitar lessons and I was doing public speaking. And, and I was like trying to do my music thing. And I was like, something needs to change here. You know, something needs to change because I don't know how to make it. I don't know how to make it work. But I definitely remember some of those shows. We played and we drove across the country and nobody was there. <laughs> bet, you know? Well, how, what did you do different to, to kind of overcome that? Well, it just sort of happened over a long period of time. I mean, we, you know, I used to like, remember when MySpace was a big deal? Oh, I would yeah. get up, I'd get up every morning before work and I would add 50 friends on MySpace, you know, and I did that for a year to two years. And then I found some uh, software that would do that for me. (laughs) And I did that. And slowly over time, you know, we play shows and there'd be 10 people, there'd be 20 people, there'd be 100 people. And we would sell CDs out of the trunk of our car, you know. And then there were different moments, you know, I think when when the Howie Love song blew up, I got a publishing deal and that publishing deal opened up opportunities inside the music industry and I got to learn from people who'd done it a lot longer than me and I got the opportunity to do tours with bigger artists and things like that and just slowly over time we tried to build something during that time when you were at your you know when you were saying you were on a tour and you didn't see a lot of people attending your shows did you ever feel like man maybe I should change careers did that thought oh, ever come totally. to you yes in fact like so my wife and I quit our jobs in 2006 and um, to go out on the road. And so literally, I remember quitting my job and we went out and we did a festival called Cornerstone Festival. And I think I actually paid money to be on the stage that year, which early on people do that, you know, like paid money to be on the stage. And there were maybe 50 people in our little tent. I probably paid 300 bucks or something to be on that stage, you know. And then we left that and we drove, uh, we drove to Kansas City. I remember pulling into Kansas City. We're supposed to play that night, and they didn't even have a sound system. You Ouch. know, I know. And I remember thinking, "Oh man, this tour is not starting well." Yeah. <laughs> and then we had a couple. You know, that same tour where we were in a different city, and they they canceled the show because no no one had <laughs> was coming. You know, like. And then we, you know, on that same tour, I was like, "Well, we're just gonna play 
you know, if we have to play on the street, we'll play on the street. <laughs> you know, and we were in uh, LA and we just set up on the uh, promenade in Santa Monica, you know, and we played for whoever was there that night. And, you know, and I do remember during that time thinking like, can we actually do this? Like, <laughs> is this actually something that we can do? That was, that was scary and heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> now, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into music, who wants to start, tra- you know, make that their main thing is like if you if you had to go back in time and give yourself some advice right now what would you what would you tell your younger self i think uh, you know and the world is different now than when i started you know i started we still sold cds and we didn't have music on the internet really you know and youtube wasn't what it is now like i think if i was talking to someone now i'd say write every day create every day and build your platform online, your YouTube channel, you know, your, um, you know, opportunities for people to hear you. Because I think that's, uh, it, it's a little more difficult now to make a living. But I think what you need to do is you need to build your catalog and you need to grow in your craft and you need to build your audience. You know, those are the three things. And if you do a little bit of that every single day, over time, if you're talented and a little bit lucky or a lot <laughs> lucky, <laughs> yeah, you know, that will that will grow into something significant. But um, and it yeah. does take a lot of luck. I think anything in life takes a good portion of luck. Yeah. What's what's the quote? The harder I work, the luckier I get. So I think. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the harder you work, the more exactly. luck comes your way. Man. Now let's exactly. transition. You shared your worst moment. Now tell us your best moment in your creative journey. My best moment in my creative journey. I honestly think some of my greatest moments are. Because writing a song is so hard, you know, and and there are a few days I actually finish a song because it's just not going in the right direction or, you know, I'll, I put away ideas, you know, but almost any day I finish a song, like I feel like when I, I feel like I'm on vacation, it feels like Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I finish a song, you know, and that sounds so not exciting. But for me, that is the most exciting moment because you have this thing that didn't previously exist in the world, right? And you bring it into the world and you sit back and it's hard for me to like my own material. And so, you know, because I live with it and I'm really hard on myself. So when I write a song and I love the song, it kind of blows my mind. I sit back and I'm like, wow, this thing didn't exist and now it exists. And then you put it out and people connect to it and you're like, wow. That is like a miracle. Like, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> you know? But for me, those are my greatest moments is when the song manifests itself into reality, you know? Um, those are some, And then, you know, we've had some great moments on the stage. We played, we opened for Need to Breathe at uh, Red Rocks. Wow. And it was, sold, it was a sold out show. And Red Rocks is so cool as a performer because all you see are the people. You can't see the back of the room because it's outdoors. And it's so tall, you know, the, the bleachers go up so high. You're literally just staring at people, you know. That's pretty sweet. And here we are like in nature and these massive cliffs, these giant rocks are surrounding us. And, you know, we're in Colorado. There's a sold out crowd and they're giving us so much energy. That was one of the nights I did feel a little bit nervous before I walked out. But I remember just thinking like, I may never do this again, you know. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I get really frustrated, not frustrated in like I'm, I, I doubt what I do or I'm down on what I do, but like 
it's hard. Like, and what you do has got to be hard too. You know, like anything worth doing is difficult, you know? Mm, right. And so it's hard and you work really hard for years and years and years. All of a sudden you wake up and like, oh, I'm about to go play Red Rocks. You know, I'm about to walk out on the stage in front of like 12,000 people or something. And uh, I was like, wow. And in that moment, I'd never really thought, you know, it's the few seconds before I walked out. I was like, wow, this is such a privilege. I was like, most people will never know what this feels like. And I'm, I am getting to do this. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to get to do this. You know, I was like, I'm just so lucky and blessed that I'm about to walk out and experience something that maybe other, a lot of people will never I think people will experience things that make them feel that way. And it's not like what I did is better, but it's just such a unique experience. That's like, who gets to do this? This is just mind blowing that I actually even get to do this. Like I never would have dreamed that I would ever get to do something like that. So that's definitely a highlight for me. No, that's pretty sweet. Now, were there songs that you wrote and you thought that it would go one way? You thought this would be a hit, but then you published it, you released it and it didn't go over well. Did you have those songs? Definitely. I, you know, and I tend to be a little bit of a doubting Thomas. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to like this, you know, (laughs) um, but gosh, I don't know. I, I wrote, um, I don't know if there's ever been a song I thought was going to be huge. That wasn't huge. There's definitely songs that I didn't think were going to be popular that became really popular. I really didn't know that how he loves or, you know, uh, there's a song I wrote with my wife called King of my heart. I didn't know. I didn't really think that was going to be a huge song, you know, and that's been a massive song. So there's definitely songs that have surprised me. And I've also learned, I really don't know what people are going to like and not like. <laughs> you just got to be consistent, right? Keeping totally keep yeah. publishing things. I know it. Now in closing, what's coming up for you? What's coming up? Well, we are releasing a Christmas record um, on November 23rd. I don't know if this will be out by then, but uh, Christmas record comes out on November 23rd. It's got some new songs. It's got some classic songs and it's got a couple songs that feature my wife. He's got a beautiful voice. And so it's exciting. It's my first Christmas record. And, wow, um, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so I'm real interested to see how people respond to it. There's a single called Baby Son, which is already out. You, know, you can find that pretty much anywhere. Next year, I want to write a new record, write and record a new record. I'm going to do some international traveling uh, next year. We're going to go to Australia, New Zealand, and it looks like we'll be in the UK and possibly Europe in the spring. So that's sort of what's uh, next for me or up on the horizon. Are you performing anytime here in Charlotte? Anytime in the future? I'm sure I will at some point next year. Yeah, but I don't have it on the books so far. It'll probably be maybe next fall or summer, I guess. Sounds good. Well, John, yeah. listen, hey, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your journey with us. Yeah, thank you, man. This was a treat. It's such an exciting conversation, man. Really good to get to talk to you. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Mark McMillan. Make sure to check out John's new Christmas album at johnmarkmcmillan.com. Again, it's johnmarkmcmillan.com. All the links and resources mentioned in this episode are also available on our website at euchromedia.com slash 48. And while you're there, definitely check out our brand new course on how to animate logos and icons in After Effects. Or simply go to euchromedia.com slash all dash courses. Again, euchromedia.com slash all dash courses. As always, don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook. Simply go to euchromedia.com slash community 
We have well over 2,500 people in this group. It is a great online resource for those of you trying to grow, and it's absolutely free. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you, and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Ecomedia Podcast. Bye-bye.